Right, hello and welcome to the Panache Cast. Uh, this is episode seven of Panache Software's weekly podcast, where we bring you the latest news and events in the world of legal tech. Uh, I'm Peter Davis, and on this week's show, we're going to be talking about legal tech for conveyances, an online fraudster who swindled a firm out of over £500,000, and Mark Cohen's article in Forbes about Law's Emerging Elite Enterprise Legal Service Providers, uh, which is a free part uh, article in in, uh, Forbes. Uh, But before we get into that, I'm going to welcome my yet again well-branded co-host, Neil Pemberton. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Pete. Uh, where's all your branding stuff, by the way? <laughs> well, the marketing team haven't been in touch with you. The company yet. can't afford it. They're spending so much on your mug and, uh, well, yeah. and T-shirt and yes, things. Exactly. I, I can't afford that. <laughs> These are matching mug and T-shirt combination this week, but um, they're not the official corporate colours. But anyway, um, I'll get onto that That's in, right, in a bit more detail in a minute. Um, last week we had uh, Rupert Vernals on the show. I really like having Rupert on. It was it was mm. great for us to chat through his course and his course for people who haven't caught the show was MBA essentials for not just for lawyers but that's I think where Rupert started out but his course is really designed to help people um, understand the the basic framework of an MBA and how you can get the essentials out of it and apply it to your business so for anyone who's involved in corporate strategy that's a a good place to look if you want more information on Rupert's course go to www.buildyourownmba.com or you can email Rupert, uh, Rupert Vernals, that's V-E-R-N-A-L-L-S, at buildyourownmba.com. Um, just to sort of talk you through that a little bit more, the the course, as I said, was is a framework course so that you can apply the essentials yourself. But hopefully we'll ha- have a chance to have Rupert back on the show and we can go through a couple of examples. I always like to go through yeah. some some live examples with someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, so. no, and, and Rupert, he's a really good guy and he's very passionate about the stuff that he yeah. he deals with and, um, yeah, had a really good conversation with him. Yeah. Which is really, really good. So we'll have him back soon. But back to the marketing stuff um, and yeah, branding, branding and brand awareness. Yeah. <laughs> All of this could be yours um, if you go on to our Patreon page, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N for anyone who's not familiar with it patreon.com forward slash panache software there are various levels on there and we've mentioned before about um, that's where all of our uh, information is uploaded but if you want to go along and support us that would be wonderful if you just go along and put your email address in and click subscribe then you'll get information about when the show is being released um, which in itself would be would be great but um, for an example if anybody wants to become an associate of the show for i think a a measly five dollars which in the uk five dollars a month yeah four four pounds or thereabouts then we'll send you some 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 cool stuff like this t-shirt and if, yeah. if you don't that's fine we just won't send you any free stuff that's right yeah <laughs> if you don't sign up you don't get anything it's as that's simple as right. that <laughs> yeah but if you do sign up then you'll get the benefit of all the um of all the show coming out early and so on yeah and uh, as really. we as we add more content or we're hoping to add more content and there may be some sort of patreon exclusive stuff on there as well yeah exactly um, but yeah it's just a way to support us and uh, help us to keep all this this free really and, Indeed. and producing the content yeah. So let's crack on with, uh, with the show then. We've got some reader mail, I think, this week. Pete, do you want to take us through some of that? Uh, yeah. So we, we, we had a bit of mail from uh, Rachel and uh, as I said we, we want to make this show very much a involving mm. the audience and, and things like Definitely. that and people listening. Uh, if indeed there is anyone listening out there, you know, we, yeah. we, we started the show because we were tired of just talking amongst ourselves about this mm. kind of thing and we want to you know bringing that conversation out to a wider audience yeah um so we hope that a few people are out there enjoying the content and and getting involved um but yeah but rachel in 
uh, emailed us, um, and she's got a, she had a question about legal tech in uh, residential plot sale transactions. Um, she works for a regional firm who has a, a large stream of plot sales for med- small to medium-sized developers. Um, and she kind of brought up in there something that we've been aware of, um, in that the transactions for that sort of conveyancing work, they're very repetitive and they can be very admin-heavy. Mm. Um, so she's kind of looking at, is this an area where legal tech could be utilised? Um, yeah. What can she do in that area? And, you know, as a residential lawyer, um, she, there's there's not high fees involved in this kind of work. Yeah. Um, and it makes it very unprofitable. Yeah. So she's wondering how tech can be used to streamline the process for plot sales transactions and help in any way. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting question and something we've touched on before. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, Neil, I don't... I, you've got a background or some background with conveyancing and, yep. and stuff. So I don't know if you can break down mm. some of the finer details of that area. And, yeah. And yeah. Well, for, for those who aren't familiar with the, with the process, we won't go into it in much detail, but we'll just cover it off briefly that it's obviously the process of buying and selling a property. And we're talking here in the context of residential properties. And it always strikes me how little people seem to be prepared to pay for buying their most valuable asset. Yeah. Um, and how little people seem to care about the quality. Well, they seem to care about the quality, but they don't pay for it. So, I mean... It's the same with everything, really, it, nowadays, though, isn't it? It, it, it is, to, but, you know, I, I mean, I would always caution people and say, and if everybody comes to me and says, Do you, can you recommend any individual conveyances? I say, I, I don't recommend anybody individual, but I'm always sceptical about going for the cheapest quote on conveyancing because it seems to me to be an industry where people are keen to race to the bottom. Yeah. And, in other words, to, to snaffle up as much yeah. business as they can, they quote cheap... And therefore, they don't give the proper diligence that they should to the job that they're doing. And it's a really, really important bit. I mean, for most people, it's probably one of very few occasions where they get legal advice. Um, I mean, what what else is there for most individuals is buying and selling a home and maybe a will. And hopefully not, but some people might go through matrimonial issues. But, but it's a, it, I mean, it's a major thing, isn't it? And it's, yep. it's something that you potentially only do a few times yeah in your life possibly yeah um, yeah i mean we you know we've talked about it before didn't we generation of before us is you know they've been in the same house for 30 years 40 years maybe even longer so yeah. you get some people which will be born and die in the same house so yeah um it, it's one of those things especially now with kids not being able to afford to move out anymore yeah. it's a, they, multiple generations in the same con- house probably they don't even need conveyancing now no, not anymore because <laughs> they can't afford the houses no. But if anyone who is buying, um, I like to do. Uh, I like to sort of draw a parallel to um, to put into in, into the customer's eyes as to what the life of a conveyancer will be like. And I'm, I'm not a residential conveyancer myself, but I, I know the industry reasonably well. Um, if you can imagine yourself in a, one of the large Tesco's or ASDAs where there are thirty different aisles, and you imagine there are no checkout staff except one one member of staff who's going to monitor 30 or maybe even more checkout aisles. That's a bit like what it's, you know, that's what a bit like uh, being a residential conveyancer would be. And you've got one person at each, each of the checkout aisles and you're the only one handling all of those different baskets of stuff. And you've also got to remember what's in each basket. So as you go through and Mrs. Jones in aisle five rings you because she wants to know where she's up to on her, on her transaction, you got to remember where that's up to. So it's really hard being a conveyancer. Yeah. It isn't easy. And it is a definite skill, even if it's not necessarily the, the most difficult 
um, conceptually difficult area that would require the highest level of legal training. It's a difficult job to manage, yeah. and it warrants decent fees. So, okay, let's get back to Rachel's point particularly. It's a, there's absolutely room for legal tech to, to come in here and, and salvage and help out with um, what is a very challenging part of the legal industry and yeah. it's something that we've looked at before and we've got to explore a bit more yeah i mean i was i was going to ask that i mean she specifically it mentions things like you know it's not a very profitable area yeah. um people are looking to reduce the the fees that they're paying for that but still getting the same quality of work mm. um you know how do firms accommodate that i i guess you've got a couple of options i mean you can throw more resource at it yeah um but in somewhere that's not very high on profits and where the fees are going down, yep. you probably don't want to be hiring additional lawyers. So I guess the other alternative is to streamline the processing. And, right. and that, I assume, is where we can introduce yep. legal technology yep. with some to incorporate new standards and processes within that. Yeah, definitely. So there's elements of most uh, conveyancing transactions that are going to be the same, right? There's, yep. there's going to be an element of due diligence, which is looking at searches, looking at the title information. There's going to be an element of negotiation of the contract, not much probably on a residential transaction, but there's a contract to be agreed and a transfer. And that's the same whether it's freehold or leasehold. Um, there's reporting on a lease if it's if it's a leasehold transaction. And in itself, that could be a potentially quite long-winded job. Yeah. Um, so leasehold transactions might cost a bit more. There's a bit more work to be done on that, especially when you factor in things like transfers of, of shares of freehold companies that might own the building. Yeah. So there's your due diligence aspect is that, you know, making the inquiries, looking at the title, looking at the search results. You've got your negotiation of the contract and transfer. Then you complete the sale itself and then you register or you pay your stamp duty land tax if it's a taxable transaction. And then you register everything at the land registry. And that is broadly the line, the the the, the, the conveyor belt, if you like, for yeah. conveyancing that every transaction follows. And obviously within that, there might be the occasional bit of difficulty sprinkled into any particular transaction where maybe a property is missing a right of way or something. Yeah. But generally speaking, because it's so formulaic, I think what's tended to happen in the industry in the past is it's been pushed down to the lowest possible level because everybody's chasing the work and so they have to do it at the lowest fee. And so you inevitably end up with the least qualified people doing it. Yeah. Um, and as I say before, that it, you know it, that's sometimes a mistake because actually if you buy a really really valuable building with even if you're buying it with no occupier in it the process is exactly the same yeah. it's just that they've got several noughts after it that um that wouldn't be on a house so, but the process and often the difficulty is is the same yeah um but you can you can afford to apply a, a higher resource to it because the fees will be greater yeah but looking at this yes i mean there are some there are some platforms out there already like i think leap legal software is is as a provider they turn up at a lot of events and conferences and they're program i think will i think they give you 10 or 20 forms that they will help you complete that you can work your way through and it will help you along that conveyor belt if you like yeah i'm not sure that they necessarily give you the ability to tweak your forms if you want to um whether you're dealing with different types of properties or you know or if you've you got them very specific to you yeah, um, I'm not familiar enough with it to know, but yeah, there are some yeah. solutions out there that do that. But I don't know that they necessarily have the flexibility that everybody might want. Um, and we've talked before about um, 
contract automation, like Contract Express, document yeah. automation tools, which will help you. Again, those will help you produce documents like completion statements and transfers and contracts, and they'll help you produce documents, but I don't think those will necessarily take you through the process. So you've got two different types of tool there that will help you yeah. go through it. What people might consider doing is going on to something like the Legal Geek startup map because yeah. they've got so many different types of solutions on there there will be case management solutions on there, new ones that will have all the newfangled document automation. Yeah, I, think and, the, I think one of the, sort of stuff. The, the nodes in their in their their map is specifically case management. And yeah, things, isn't it? I think um, if you uh, have we got a note on it, so if you go, yeah, case and records management. There's yeah. there's there's a good list of companies on there. In fact, we're lucky enough to be on that map. That I think um, that's where we, we might be as well. Yeah, where we're in there, and yeah. that those solutions will help you not just create the documents and be able to tweak the documents as you see fit they'll help you get through the whole process um i mean we've talked before about when you log in in the morning and again go back to the analogy of being a, the, the sole checkout person at tesco with 30 different lines if you didn't know you came in one morning and just saw all these lines there some of them might be halfway through um how would you know where to begin unless your program or platform was telling you so we like the idea of dashboards saying you know how far you're up to on all the various transactions maybe as a percentage complete um maybe there's pie charts showing you maybe there's something that sets reminders for you that tells you when yeah. something some deadline is coming up particularly when you're dealing with you know 30 50 or maybe even 100 transactions and you've got stamp duty land tax deadlines to meet and if you don't meet them that's a hundred pound fine and i think they're changing it from 30 they've changed it from 30 days to 14 days as you would imagine hmrc okay, yeah. would be keen to get their money in sooner and then you've got land registry deadlines i mean there's a whole host of different issues yeah. to deal with so a solution that can deal with as much of the admin as possible is definitely the way to go on this sort of thing i think yeah and i think as you say we've got solutions your choices are you know you can look at some of the more heavyweight solutions things like contract express may not be applicable for the smaller hmm. firms yeah um for you know if you're in a if you're a one-man band or a small high street firm you know that might be more overkill for you mm. for a larger organization a larger law firm that might be fine because you might be dealing yeah. with you might want to roll out something across your whole yeah um company um but yeah things like the startup map and that on the legal geek startup map can show you these new providers that are doing this kind of stuff and you'll often find that these are subscription-based services so yeah. they've got a lot cheaper um starting point for you they might not be as feature rich as something like contract express but there might be enough for you to get going yeah uh, and then of course we've talked about it in other shows you know organizations like the land registry they're moving more and more mm. to digitize what they offer yep. and provide new solutions in that area um we've talked about websites before where i think you can download all the searches in one place mm. and things like that so there's 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 countless new yeah. providers out there that's right um that are offering these services yeah um, just just to finish that point off um and to link it back to rachel's original point about being plot sales and i i I talked about conveyancing more generally, which is buying and selling, but plot sales is obviously what it says. It's just sales. And for developers, that is particularly a circumstance where you'd want um, you'd, you'd want a platform which takes you through the whole transaction process. And so maybe that is something like Leap. But where I was mentioning earlier about the 
flexibility within the system to be able to create new documents all the time. If you're capped at whatever you can do within somebody's platform, yeah. that might necessarily be the right one for you for those circumstances because if you're acting for a developer, maybe you're doing the work for them at a, at a loss at the moment or, at, or just about breaking even because you want the real work, which is buying the development sites in the first place and getting involved in that. Um, every time they do a development, you're going to have a different suite of precedents to incorporate. Yeah. So however many developments they plan to do, and it doesn't take very long for them to get through them, um, you know, you really want to have the flexibility there. And also, for anyone who's who's bought a new build before, um, if you, my, my experience of that is you go along to one of the developers and they have some lawyer who's appointed really for them that's familiar with the site and the question whether or not that's really good for the buyer or whether you should be using your own. But, Somebody that's familiar with the site that's done the work before, I guess it makes sense to use that person because they've done a lot of the groundwork before. Um, but what what they often end up doing is it's quite lazy with the drafting. So if you're buying something within a, a 200 development, uh, two, you're buying a plot within a development that's 200 units big, you'll find that your transfer looks virtually the same as transfer for, you know, if you're number 200, and it'll look the same as number one. Yeah. Because they don't go through and necessarily pick out what's relevant to you. And there's nothing wrong with that in terms of drafting the, the, the transfer that says, oh, this only applies to plot number 75. But what you end up with is just reams and reams of paperwork. It's untidy and it's messy and I, and it, I don't like it personally. Yeah. That might be controversial. but <laughs> I, I, it, I thought you liked reams of paperwork as a lawyer. <laughs> I thought that was the whole point of... Uh... Well, actually, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, maybe I should go back on what I just said. No, I mean, I... I to the extent you can exclude clauses, you should, and so that yeah. I think you you should have a proper a, docu- a proper tool which allows you to do document automation as well as a, a platform which allows you to to monitor and run through a process. So it's a combination of a project management tool and a document automation tool that I think yeah. people will be looking for. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing. You know, these are the key points we're looking at: is to you know to streamline these processes mm. to give you an overview of what's happening yeah. on all of these areas, and yeah the decision then becomes what do I get? And I would assume, I would say, you know, there's, there's some very established packages out on mm. the market, especially in document automation, things like hot docs, things yep. like contract express, you know, the heavyweight hitters in that area. Mm. Um, but there's also some up and coming startups yep. that are also doing this stuff, which may lack some of the features, but may include other features that are more important to you. So Absolutely. Yeah. They're the, the key aspects that you're looking at. Yeah, definitely. In that area. So, yeah, so if we if we close up, but again, any if if other people listening have questions and stuff, yeah. we'd love to cover more things. And yeah. you know, what are what are you looking for in the legal industry now? You know, if you're a lawyer looking for new tech, what area do you deal in, and what tech are you looking to yeah. to use? And um, absolutely, it'd be great to hear from others about that. Well, yeah, and indeed, I mean, if there are people who are watching with with other disciplines like corporate or you know anything which is more of a procedural or transactional. Um, base management and yeah like that and um, contract management. they can benefit from the same types of platforms yeah. and i think that's something else to keep in mind if you're a firm that is not just doing you know plot sales or whatever if you're if you're multidisciplinary, then really you want to be looking at a platform that yeah. can apply to everything so yeah keep that in mind no sounds great um okay so yeah so second item we wanted to talk about and this is kind of following on from um a couple of weeks ago we we um in our sort of fifth episode where mm. we talked a little bit about sort of cybercrime and things like that. Yeah. Um, there was a, 
a little article out in the um, uh, a news article in the Times that that we picked up on, um, which was about some solicitors that lost about six hundred thousand pounds from a client's house sale in a mm. in a sort of an online scam. Yeah. Um, and we just wanted to have a little chat around that area, yep. bearing in mind what we've talked about in cybercrime. So I don't know if you want to fill in a little bit about what yeah. the story was. Well, it follows on nicely from what we were talking about a second ago as well. So um, in, in that this was a conveyancing transaction. Somebody who'd sold a house in London for about $1.2 million. The, uh, the article says something along the lines that they had, they had account details for this seller on their, on their system, on their records. Um, and then they got an email which was from the same name, but it was spelt with one letter different by the sounds of things. Yeah. And and so I suppose in, in a lot of occasions, it could easily slip through, slip, slip through the net as something that just goes unnoticed. And I think the firm did the right thing initially in saying, sorry, I should say, the email said, I've had a, a change of mind. Could you send half of the money to my savings account? Yeah. Now, we don't know whether that was at the same bank or not. It doesn't say. Um but that is obviously one of those immediately suspicious things that you, you latch onto and think, well, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. And actually, as the lawyer, I'd say, well, I can make two bank transfers now. I can't be bothered with two. Yeah. Um, I'll send you one transfer and you can transfer it internally yourself. Yeah. So they did the right thing, I think, in ringing the customer and saying, are you sure you want us to transfer some money into your savings account? And it seems from the article as though the story was the person who was selling the house was busy packing their bags and couldn't manage or find the their account details. But... That they they were aware that they had a savings account at that bank. Now again, we don't know what the conversation was, but that to me seems particularly strange because I think when you and I were talking about it earlier, you might say, "Well, I never told you about a second bank account," yes. or "No, I'll worry about that myself." That would to me would not only is it flagging an issue with the law firm. If you're the customer that gets that phone call, wouldn't you be thinking, "Well, I never gave you two sets of account details, so yeah. something doesn't." fit right here nonetheless the outcome was unfortunately half of the money was sent to this savings account which wasn't the customer's account and by the time they got there virtually all of the money was gone a large proportion of that money was gone and can't be recovered and the sra the solicitor's regulation authority came down really hard on the firm and said well you should have known and as um, they probably should have done really yeah (laughs) as you should have known and can you replenish this person's money within a couple of days please so there was not any sign of forgiveness from the sra so, okay, that might be an insured risk, but let's say that the insurance money is not going to come in overnight. So that firm probably had to make up the shortfall of whatever it was, 500000 or, or thereabouts, out of their own pocket, mm. which, you know, that could cripple a lot of firms out there. And it could Especially just, just small high street firms and stuff, or even one-man bands. Yeah. And, uh... So um, the other interesting thing that came out of the same edition of The Times was, we'll, we mentioned last week about uh, cybercrime, that... The what is it? The chief, the head of operations at the National Cybercrime Unit said that they were short on resources in, in order to t- to tackle all the cybercrime that's going on out there. And I think we all have seen evidence of cybercrime becoming much more of an issue. I mean, we all receive emails that purport to be from you were talking earlier, PayPal or Apple or yeah. whoever saying, you know, can you reset your details here by clicking on this thing? Yeah. And that is the obvious. That's the warning flag, isn't it? But. Going back to this specific article, what sort of things could we be doing to prevent theft like this in, in the future? Are there any ways that tech can help us with that? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things for me that this highlights is that, as well, when we talk about things and, you know, they, they, 
they mention it in in these articles you know that this is all this is cyber crime and things like that and you think mm. all complicated stuff but actually what happened in this instance was a very simple thing mm. you know it was not a complicated plan someone sent an email to the firm yeah. with a slightly different email address asking for this several steps down the line when you know things were misinterpreted or or whatever happened that's that then that actually got the money transferred to them mm. you know so this wasn't a complicated case of hacking into systems yeah. and, and getting these things uh, i mean it, it suggests that the person sending this email understood when the completion was going to yeah. happen and things like yeah. that but you know we discussed beforehand i mean how complicated is that kind of thing to determine if you you can walk down the street and you can see what houses are for sale. You can yep. see that a house is now sold because of the banner. So you can then see, okay, this house is being dealt by this estate agent. Yep. How complicated is it to ring that estate agent and say, oh, hi, I'm acting on behalf of yep. someone at this this address. Can you just let us know what the completion date is? We haven't yep. got it for our records, yep. you know, or who's acting for this person. Yeah. Um, and these little bits of information along the way, like the completion date, the name of the solicitors acting for them. Yeah. Um, you can get the name of the seller from just going onto the land registry records and it, downloading it. Exactly. Yeah. And these in of themselves are tiny little bits of information yeah. that don't sound much, mm. but allow you to build this thing where they knew when mm. the sale was happening. They knew the solicitors involved. They knew the name of the person selling and they were able to spoof this bit of information. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't think there's necessarily foolproof things you can do to stop this kind of thing. Mm. There, there was just a catalogue of errors in this case. Yeah. But, you know, we've often said in uh, some of the things that we've been looking at to do with our platform and things is, you know, we want to take away the boring stuff mm. that lawyers have to do. Yeah. You know, let the lawyers worry about the exciting things. Yeah. We'll do the boring bits and pieces. And that's where you want technology to pick up in this instance yeah you know you can have systems which integrate with your email services now how mm. complicated is it to have a list of valid email addresses against yeah this person's matter yeah or, or this person's property sale and for you to say okay you've now received an email but it doesn't match any of the yeah. addresses that could just be flagged to the yeah. lawyer yeah. instantly because it may be that this email came into the lawyers and they didn't think much of it because mm. it looked similar mm. in the address so they didn't think to initially question that whereas a software solution in a very simple check mm. could say i've had an email and it's not by anyone on the approved list of emails yeah, yeah. um so that would have then created even more of a red flag for yeah. a person like that you know, you can introduce new portals, client-facing portals for people, yeah. um, which allow them to add information online mm. and stuff. And maybe you do things that way. So you're eliminating then just email conversations or phone conversations. You can send an email to the person via the portal. Yeah. Um, and you know it's going to the correct address to get the response from. Yeah. Uh, it's those kind of things where... The tech can do very simple things yeah. for you, and presumably, you know, if you're doing the portal example, the the individual crook, and and unless they're sort of following you around or there's someone that you know, isn't going to necessarily know your username and password, and you know, you, you can have a lot of different 
you can have lots of different ways, can't you, to make things more secure, like when you're internet banking, for example, you need, you know, your username, your first password, your second password, and quite often when you're logging on with a new machine, they'll text you and say, this is a new activity on a different machine, we've never seen this before. Those things are not that complicated to do, they're pretty they're pretty secure because that's what you know that's what all the major banks are doing aren't they so the the information the technology is already available for people to use it in those circumstances the other thing and 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 you know going back to the simple view when you meet these people i mean i'm i'm the paper pusher right <laughs> rather than the technology yeah. person so you presumably meet them to do your know your client um information which is checking the passport and proof of address maybe they maybe the proof of address was the bank statement with the bank account details on i don't know but that probably ought to now form part of that firm's checklist, right? Well, which account do you want us sending money to? And and part of your instruction is probably we will not change this account detail yeah. unless it's verified and properly verified with you. And having a phone call with a customer who says, I'm a bit busy to check the account details, but yes, I've got an account there, isn't really proper verification. No. It's very poor to have gone through and actually ident- okay they, they missed that the email was different but they actually found oh this is unusual and made the phone call but then didn't see it through yeah. well again and maybe the platforms can have certain levels of authority checks and approvals such that you know if you're changing someone's account details on your own system now these may have been just in the front sheet of a file for all we know but if it's on a portal somewhere and the account details are changed if it's changed by the customer then it has to be verified by a phone call to them maybe um, or them coming and visiting you but preferably you know some easy way Um, but if it's changed internally by the associate or paralegal whoever's doing the work then it's got to be signed off by the partner with with a bit of evidence that suggests that it has been properly done yeah and and i think that's the that's the that's the key thing isn't it the more that we can automate these things and the more that we can add steps in their Mm. process steps which look for additional confirmations yeah. and things like that it means that it's not as simple as your client just sending an email and saying can you change this and it gets yeah. done or you having a quick conversation and you change it i mean y- you may think that that may add additional workloads and additional time to the processing um but there's there's trade-offs in that mm. as to if it's a more secure process, then it's probably worth it. Yeah, I, ba- I doubt there's as much time spent as there is now trying to recover £600,000 of lost it, money. Exactly. Five, 500, um, yeah, so I, I think it's looking for those kind of solutions that, that do those kind of things that help you manage the process yeah. better to avoid these kind of things. And, you know, simple things which these providers of these systems could implement to try and flag up these kind of things more mm better you know either internally or to the the buyers or the or the clients um so that it just adds an additional amount of red flags on yeah absolutely uh, to look into so yeah yeah, so uh, an interesting thing yeah so should we move on to article three or item number three then um which was something that we fished out of forbes um this is an article by mark cohen um about enterprise legal service providers now there's that we'll put all the links in the show notes afterwards there are actually three parts to this and we've picked up on on parts one and three really but we'll talk a little bit about part three because there's a bit of overlap as to what we've talked about before but um it's really about the shift and the overall theme seems to be about the shift from the old way of dealing with legal services and and legal practice into the new sort of enterprise service and 
he makes a couple of uh, references in his he makes several references in his it is um part three article but there's a couple that we want to pick up on um of a handful of providers that have emerged as legal deliveries new architects so he's picked out alan and overy who we mentioned in in week three um and the way in which they're revolutionizing their delivery of legal services and there are two or three elements to that one of which is this fuse um innovation hub which we've we've, we've talked, talked about, about before haven't we in, yeah which is yeah. where they're providing incubation space for startup companies to come and work with them and delivering and building the technology that helps them work in, uh, in a more efficient way and working working directly with the startups you know giving yeah. those startups access to That's lawyers right. and processes yeah. and to exactly to and and we've talked before as well about ai solutions in particular and how they really need data and information to become more useful and more powerful and working with firms like that from the start hopefully they have that yeah. so that you grow in confidence with your ai solution from day one so He's highlighted Alan and over his fuse tech innovation arm as something significant. And then also um, a project management office, which, you know, that's looking at the way in which you deliver the overall work package yeah. um, and bringing in expertise from, you know, different sectors and people that are not necessarily lawyers and have the, you know, the legal uh, acumen and the legal knowledge. It's bringing in uh, people with the expertise of how to get a transaction from, a to, a to B and, yep. and onwards and finished as quickly and as smoothly as possible and profitably. So he's highlighted a couple of points there for Alan and Overy. And then uh, also the big four. So this is the big four accountancy firms and they're providing law as professional service. Now we've talked about EY and briefly about the other three, PwC, KPMG and Deloitte, Deloitte yeah. um, in week four, I think it was, where we were talking about EY's acquisition of the Thompson, of Thompson, Reuters. Thompson Reuters legal yeah. services arm, didn't they? they acquired, exactly. So. And the outsourcing of, of, of legal services to, um, well, outsourcing of legal services from the clients of the firms or traditional clients of the firms to these other professional organizations. And, you know, we know from having spoken to people at these sorts of places before, particularly the accountancy firms, where they are essentially number crunchers. And, you know, they are extremely good at knowing where the profit is within a transaction. And yeah. I guess if they're doing legal service, enterprise legal services, they're delivering a, a service for customers. Probably 90% of it fits down a very neat, cust neat tunnel and doesn't have much complication to it. And I, we, we were talking a bit before the show about where that leads us yeah. and whether or not law firms traditional law firms and we can come on to some of the other stuff that mark says but the traditional law firms will really see a sort of shrinking demand for their traditional and previous service yep. i.e legal practice and legal advice because that seems to be shifting a bit now yeah definitely and you know as i said the other aspects of this is a three-part article and you know it covers a huge amount of this and um it's really talking about how um, you know the different way that the the kind of the elite law firms and stuff look mm. on things, and how how the new enterprise legal service providers look at the industry differently. Um, and yeah, there, there's a there is a lot of good quotes in here, and yeah. you know they're they're talking about you know the escalating demands on the corporate legal consumers to do more with less. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure this is just the corporate legal consumers. I think it's mm. everyone of course looking it is. to do more with less. Yeah, um, and that's raised their expectations and performance bars to levels that even elite 
law firms cannot wholly satisfy. Um, and I think it's it's talking about, you know, those elite law firms, you're, you're governed by your high fee earners mm. and things like that. The law firm isn't really set up to deal with necessarily very high volume, no. low cost work. No. Um, whereas these new legal service providers are coming in and saying, we'll do that for you. Yeah. We'll take that high volume work. We've got potentially less skilled people doing it, hmm. but it doesn't need that level of skill with it. Yeah. Um, and we was, we talked earlier about, you know, whether you use these legal services to do the bulk of the work. Hmm. Um, and when you actually have a significant issue, which needs sort of a more complex look at, hmm. that's when you engage your standard, yeah. your 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 normal law firms to do that kind of work, but yeah. for the general day to day work, it's handled by you're outsourcing that work yeah. to someone yeah. rather than building up your own in house practice to do it. You're getting someone else to do it for you. Yeah, um, and yeah, yeah. The law firms aren't equipped to cope with that kind of thing. No, and I, I just wanted to repeat what you said there about the, the performance bars to levels that even elite law firms cannot wholly satisfy. It really suggests there that the firms have not kept up with the demands of the customer. And um, yeah. I don't know whether it's necessarily the demands of the customer or the expectation or what it is, but we you talked before about some of the, you know, some of these new companies now, if you wound the clock back 20 years, the the, the client landscape looks very, very different. Yeah. You know, there are no Facebooks and, you know, Amazons and or there are Amazon in its infancy. You know, the the client demands are different. Everything's fast now. And and traditionally, legal services have not been fast because they're built on billable hour, and it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. And, and let's pull out one of the other quotes in here. In here, they're saying, you know, that they they require a new class of providers with scale, substantial capital, mm. and ability to integrate legal, business, and technological expertise, backed by seamless global infrastructure yeah. to tackle sophisticated, high-value business challenges. Now, how many? global law firms are there that you know have expertise in other areas to provide mm. this thing you not know, many probably not many no. <laughs> no so i don't know any in fact um you know i i think i think a lot of firms have talked about it before i can remember having and hearing conversations of firms as long ago as 10 years ago thinking about it and saying, oh, you know what, we're a big we're a big property firm, and we do a lot of work in in this particular sphere. Shouldn't we consider merging with um, a surveyor's outfit? You know, a bunch of agents. And I think yeah. the internal resistance against that was no, because then we potentially cut ourselves off from the referrals from all the other agents that we don't merge with. Yeah. Um, but certainly, all those things you just mentioned. Um, which I can't now find on there, the scale, the agility, the financial flexibility, and the, be yeah. able to deal with technological advice as well as business advice. That is what <laughs> the likes of PwC and Deloitte and EY and KPMG have in absolute spades. That is their business model, and they yeah. do it really well. And I do not see any way of the firms, the law firms, catching up with them. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of news now, isn't there, about those big four accountancy firms getting broken up because they they're too big here yeah. and they've missed they've missed the boat on several big meltdowns as it Carillion and other things like that where they've just not done the proper job on it yeah. but nonetheless no one knows what happens what what the future will be there but they are absolutely marching all over the the, the legal service space 
And actually, you go back just a few years ago, you would find the magic circle type firms uh, or magic circle firms and the, and the silver circle firms now wouldn't touch the work that they were touching 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen several leases and, and things of flats, which, you know, they've got Linklaters and, and Clifford Chance on them. And that's just not the kind of work that these people are going to be doing anymore. Yeah. Um, so their whole business model has shifted to much more specialist high value advice that they weren't you know they weren't doing well they maybe were that it was still doing it several years ago but yeah. they wouldn't touch that kind of work now that's for people like howard kennedy and Eversheds and people who are providing this much higher volume of yeah. production line and we've talked about the service and i think who was the other one that we mentioned adelshaw goddard i think who mentioned we mentioned their their own versions of the legal managed services um well, they're mopping all that sort of stuff up now, but I don't think they even could get into this idea of business advice and advice in areas outside of legal. Yeah, so. and and we've talked a lot about you know the emerging new technologies and things like mm. new AI solutions by people. I think it's like people like Raven and mm. stuff like that, which do contract analysis and things like that. These are things that you would previously go to your lawyer to do. Yeah, there's now AI solutions to do that kind of work for mm. Mm. It, because there's those kind of solutions out there we typically thought of those being marketed at lawyers and in-house legal teams to speed up their work yeah but these are services that these other legal services can use yep. to offer those um bits of work to people yeah um so you know rather than the lawyers taking advantage of this new legal technology other people are taking advantage of that new legal technology to offer legal services. Yeah. Um, which is a really interesting It is. Thing, I, I actually, change. funnily enough, I saw, I think it was, I want to say Jones Lang LaSalle, but I, it may have been another one, but I think it was them on LinkedIn saying the other day that they are now using uh, an AI solution whose name escapes me, but it'll come back to me in a minute, to do a lot of their lease analysis for them. Yeah. Um, and obviously this is a huge time saver and it might be stuff that they would have outsourced to a law firm before, you know, tell us about when the break dates are coming up, tell us about the rent review dates coming up, all those sorts of things. These things are now held centrally and their AI platform is either extracting it or holding on to that yeah. information. It's doing a lot of the work for them, the admin work we've talked about before. So you can see, can't you, these little... I don't know, like piranhas nipping away at the yeah. legal industry here, just taking chunks out of it constantly. The, yeah. the, the managed services are being taken. The the administrative services are being taken by the technological aspects. Yeah. The industry is really coming under a lot of pressure now. It is, and and you know, let's let's kind of close it out with one of mm. you know Mark Cohen's last quotes in one of his conclusions to this. Um, you know, he said that you know multidisciplinary, sophisticated, efficient cost-effective, scalable, agile, holistic, and needle-moving solutions are not the stuff that even elite law firms are made of, much less other firms. Yeah. And, you know, that, that says a lot. You know, these Pretty. other these other organizations are yeah. doing that, and they're, they're encroaching on the business of yeah. the, the normal law firms. Yeah. Um, and it's because the, everything's changing. The whole industry is changing, not just the law industry, but outside of that is yeah is, is moving on absolutely it'll um, be interesting to see what happens in the future yeah it certainly is it's, it's a real change um, yeah it's all changing so yeah i mean let's 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 
close out by um, talking about some events and things like that. Yep. Um, last week, uh, well, not last week, week the, before, the week yeah. before, in week five, um, we mentioned the National Cyber Security Centre's Cyber UK 2019 event mm. uh, in Glasgow. Um, and, you know, I don't know if any of the listeners called up and, and, and attended that event or not. Um, but you picked out, if, if, if you missed that, there were a lot of highlights yeah. on the cybersecurity centers website weren't there yeah so if you go to ncsc.gov.uk it's right there on the front page there are video highlights there and notes you can go and look at and also i mean we've looked at it before but i was amazed at how much information is on their website about cybercrime and security and so on it's a treasure trove of information and um if you are struggling with some of the issues that we talked about before cyber security and crime and uh, you're worried about it or you're absent of any policies on it then that's probably a pretty good place to start yeah, there's definitely. reams and reams of information on there loads yeah. so go and have a look at ncsc.gov.uk yeah. um and so we've got two two uh, events to recommend this week both if you google sra events you'll find them but we'll tell you about we put the specific notes um up on the show later on the first one is on the 16th of May. It's at the Hilton Hotel Deansgate in Manchester. Um, this is talking really about um, GDPR requirements and data breaches and so on. Um, yeah. Jane Malcolm of the SRA will be there to update people on um, the recent offensive communications guidance note. So for anyone who wants to be much more offensive in their correspondence. There's some guidance notes of guidance you, how you, you can, can reverse and then yeah. figure out to, how to be more <laughs> offensive if you want. Yeah. To, so um, go go along and check that out. And then the session, there'll be other sessions on IP rights, advertising law, reputational management and data and so on. But I mean, um, there's a, there's a, there's a I mean, GDPR is, is such a huge thing at the moment. Yeah. And um, I think any information you can get on that for... Yeah, for the solicitors is a bonus. Definitely. We, we have to cover that at some point ourselves. And also, we've mentioned before briefly about how that interplays with uh, things like blockchains and so on. So we'll yeah. have to spend a bit of time on that. So if there's any GDPR experts out there, then get in touch. Yeah. Um, and then item two uh, is the 21st and 22nd of May, Stratford-upon-Avon Crown Plaza. This is the Institute of Money Laundering Prevention Officers. Um, oh, it's not necessarily directed straight at lawyers, but for the law firms that are, have, um, you know, money laundering reporting officers or, or or equivalents, or for if you're a firm that doesn't have one of those and you're the nominated partner, then that's going to be of interest to, to you. Yeah. Uh, there'll be uh, insight there from regulators and supervisors, legislators and enforcers, how to prevent and disrupt financial crime activity whilst providing superb networking opportunities. It's not just lawyers that will go to that. It'll be accountants. It talks about here gambling and gaming, money service businesses. There we are. Okay. That's right. And it just fits in with everything we've been talking about in these kind of cybersecurity aspect on things. Um, You know, this is going to be key stuff going forward. You know, this is a huge issue now as everything moves online. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier details how simple some of this stuff can be you know yeah. you, you often think of cyber security as people hacking into systems as you know tom yeah. cruise breaking into a building somewhere <laughs> yeah. and parachuting out or something like that you know that's not the case it seems that you can just phone someone up and ask them to change your bank details and that that often works yeah. so you know for people who are looking to just find out more about this area and and find 
where to go to look for help on this kind of yeah. stuff. You know, these are great sources mm-hmm. of information. Um, Absolutely. I don't think you can so, go too far wrong if you go to them. If you're following what is, you know, the industry-leading um, examples of how you tackle cybercrime, there's a lot of information there that's available to go along and pick it up. And, yeah. um, you know, like you said, it's 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 not difficult to get it right it's one of those things it just is a bit of a distraction from the main part of the job but it's an unavoidable one and yeah. unless you want to get stung in, in the way that others unfortunately have been yeah and and as we mentioned before have a look at things like legal geek startup map and things yeah. for the all these new startups which are coming out that that are bringing new solutions which may be able to help with this kind of stuff yeah you know and have a look at that get involved in the legal geek conferences and stuff like that mm-hmm. and go and see what people are doing yeah. uh, and where they can take some of that out of your hands and 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 look after it for you exactly um, yeah help you out so, yeah. yeah so if anybody else is out there who is hosting their own event and wants to tell us about it then we'll we'll give you a shout if you email us at panashecast at panashesoftware.com yep. any um viewer responses or feedback or questions like rachel asked us then again it's the same address panashecast at panashesoftware.com yep or you can as before, get in contact with us at Patreon at patreon.com slash panache software. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask away on there. Uh, sign up on there and we'll, you know, we'd like to prioritize anything that's coming in from Patreon as yeah. well, any questions and stuff. But yeah, get involved and leave yeah. comments and um, all the links to everything we've we've been doing will be in the description of the videos or the audio that you're listening to. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, so until next week. Yep. Yeah, until um, then. We will see you then.